0: Rejoice! It's party time. Crank up those Christmas jams. I need pipers piping, drummers drumming. See, we get to keep it going. Christmas isn't a day. For us Anglicans, it's a season, a 12-day party that won't stop until after New Year's. Where are my golden rings and swans? But I want a celebration. The king is here, as Father West reminded us on Christmas Eve. He has come. His kingdom has broken into the world, and the great story of all creation is drawing towards its climax. I don't know about the lords and the ladies, but I want to leap and dance. (laughs) Rejoice. The apostle John gets it. He opens up his testimony to the good news of Jesus with a three stanza hymn of praise unlike anything we find in the other Gospels. There are no inns or shepherds or mangers here. None of the traditional Christmas story trappings. But this is just as much a Christmas passage as anything we find in the other Gospels. Because you see, John is taking us behind the curtain of just the facts of Jesus' arrival and into the spiritual reality of what is happening in the Incarnation. And to do this, to understand truly who Jesus is, what he's doing, why he's doing it, and what should be our response, he has to take us all the way back to the beginning of the story, literally. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing was made that came into being. The first words of John's gospels are a purposeful echo of Genesis 1. John here is using terms and ideas that would have been familiar to his Greek and Hebrew readers. Everything was created through the activity of the world. All existence, physical, spiritual, received their life from him. As the psalmist reminded us, God's word is continually being sent out into the world in order to order and sustain it and without this continual work both realities would recede back into the nothingness from which the father had called them through the word but there is the problem the problem of darkness that John reminds us of evil chaos We're familiar with the story just as much as John's readers were familiar with the story. He didn't have to spell it out for them. They knew how God gave his word or commandment to our first ancestors, but how they rejected him. How evil entered into the world and a great cosmic struggle broke out and raged throughout creation. As the original goodness of the word's work was marred by human rebellion So what does God do? What does John say? After a brief spoiler, just to make sure we don't forget what the final outcome is going to be, John says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, kept coming into the world. So after God's good and perfect creation had been corrupted, he chooses not to destroy that creation. The world that he had made but instead chose a different path he kept sending his word into the world the creator and sustainer of existence was continually coming into his created reality how many times throughout the course of the old testament do we read about the word of the lord coming to noah to abraham to Moses, to David, to the prophets, to those who received him in faith and believed in the word that God gave them, he gave them right to be counted as his children. And both Paul and John make a special point in both our gospel and New Testament passage to remind us, in spite of what the Israelites might have thought, that it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from, It has nothing to do with birth or genetic, social status, or gender. Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute. Come on in. Ruth, a Moabite. Yep. Abram, a Sumerian idol worshiper. You betcha. God's word is for the entire world. All people. All nations. As the prophet Isaiah reminds us as well, the nations shall see your vindication, all kings your glory. And when God's word comes, it does the same thing it always has done. It brings light and life. When it comes to individuals like Abraham, it created life out of barrenness. When it comes to a people, Israel, when God reveals himself through Moses, a prophet unlike any other, to whom God spoke his word face to face. He brought God's people, God's word, God's character, his requirement of righteousness. So that the word could create a new people, God's holy people. Out of slaves, rebellious, hard hearted people. Sound familiar? But even though these people had God's word, his law, had seen God act in mighty ways, they rejected him. They sinned continually. So much like their first ancestors, they were driven from the land where God had chose to dwell with them. First in a tabernacle and then in the temple. You see, the problem is if there's one thing that everyone knew from the story that John is taking us and walking us back through, is that all mankind, even the best examples from our history, are incapable of the righteousness spoken in the law. And rather than make mankind holy, it had only served to illuminate and highlight how truly evil man is, how desperate is his situation. As Paul reminds us, this is far from rejoicing. And in the midst of this darkest period in Israel's history, as they are exiled from their land and sent away to the Babylonians and the Assyrians, God had sent his word yet again to prophets who spoke of a time when a coming Savior would bring an end to the cosmic conflict. And then silence. Israel waited for hundreds of years, as we've practiced waiting for Advent. But when... When in the fullness of time, as Paul says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Rejoice! This is one of the most radical and important verses in the entire Bible. The hero long foretold and looked for had arrived. And like in all good stories, the manner of his arrival was unexpected, though it had been announced. And even more than the when, the how was the most shocking of all. He who had fashioned man became a man, born of a woman that he himself had called into existence, cradled in arms that he had knit together. He looked into eyes that he himself had fashioned, the word of God became a speechless baby. God himself had arrived as a person, the God-man. He dwelt with us just as he had in the garden, in the tabernacle, and in the temple. It had to be this way, because since a man had broken and transgressed the commandments brought sin and death into created reality, Only a man could offer recompense for sin. But man is incapable of keeping the law. Further, even if he could keep the law, he would redeem only himself. He is not capable of making recompense for all mankind. Only the God-man is capable of this task. Only the one with the power of all creation could come as God and keep both the law and offer to God that which is owed by all men. Born of a woman, the only unique son of God became a real person, born under the law so that he could fulfill it and redeem all mankind. Rejoice! But why? Why would God do this, we might ask? John anticipates our question and answers it in two ways. The key is the term that we find in verse 14. Two terms, actually. Grace and truth. These terms, perhaps better understood as the fullness and the complete expression of God's steadfast, redeeming love and his faithfulness to his promises. These are echoes all the way back to Exodus 34, where God reveals himself to Moses through these words. The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God, in giving his commandments to Moses, is also telling him something about his character, who he is. Those words... Steadfast love and faithfulness. This is who God is. And here John tells us that the coming of the word into flesh is the fullness of the complete and ripened expression of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. So why does God send the word into the world? For the same reason he always has. Because he promised to redeem the world. And he is a God abounding in unchangeable, unshakable, unwavering love. And who is trustworthy and true to his promises. Indeed is truth itself. So it is because of who God is that he has offered us grace upon grace. Unmerited favor, the bringer of blessings and joys through Jesus Christ. Rejoice, but there's still more. John pulls back the curtain even further to the side. God offers this grace for a reason. The law was indeed given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known, John says. The law given through Moses was a partial revelation of God's character. But Jesus is the better revelation, superior to that given to Abraham, Jacob, or even Moses. He is the complete and final revelation because as God's unique and only Son, he truly knows the Father, because he and the Father are one, both God, and he is able to fully reveal him, God the Father, to us through himself. And it is only when we have this complete revelation that the relationship with God that we lost in the beginning can be fully restored. This is what God has longed for, For which creation has groaned, the restoration of the relationship in which we are made a holy people, where God dwells again in us and with us. So rejoice. The God-man has arrived, and he has clothed us in garments of salvation and in a robe of righteousness. Rejoice. Deck yourself as a bridegroom with a garland. And a bride with joys, rejoice, the earth rejoices at the God-man's arrival to dwell with his people. Already you can look out and see the shoots of praise breaking from the ground as people from every tribe and tongue and nation are made righteous and sing his praise. Rejoice for the sake of God's kingdom which is coming, shining like the dawn. We cannot keep silent. Rejoice, the God-man has come with salvation, burning like a torch in the darkness. Rejoice, all earth, all peoples, kings and children alike, rejoice, the God-man has come. And now, Father, we offer to you all praise and honor. We rejoice in what you have done in the past, what you are doing here and now among your people and will by your will continue to do. And we lift our voices with all creation, asking that the knowledge of you will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea, and that one day we may dwell with you, triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.